From Fortress Fund Managers, this is Do It For Grantly, a podcast where we speak with women and men in Barbados about their grantlies and other money matters. I'm Kim Howard, Marketing Manager at Fortress, and my co-host is Omar Kennedy. Hello, listeners. An entrepreneur, author, and former financial manager. In today's episode, we're taking you on a deep dive into the world of finance and investing. We're joined by my colleague, Peter Arinder, Chief Investment Officer at Fortress. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So let's get to it. Financial security doesn't grow on trees. It's built brick by brick with smart investments and a strong partner. To retirement, education, and whatever your future may hold, we say, bring it on. At Fortress Fund Managers, we're not afraid of the hard work, long hours, or steady saving, just like you aren't. We know better than anyone that you can't just hope for good luck. Call Fortress Fund Managers on 435-7777 to build your personal fortress. Your future, our business, Fortress. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Do It For Grantly. My name is Kim Howard. I'm Omar Kennedy. And today we have with us Peter Arinder, the Chief Investment Officer from Fortress Fund Managers. How are you doing, Peter? Very well. Good morning. Glad to have you. Now, I just want to let everybody know, in case this is the first time you've heard from us, Fortress Fund Managers is a mutual fund company based in Barbados. We've been operating here since 1996, and all we do is provide mutual fund investments through uh, both individual investments as well as in investments for organizations, through pensions as well as just general mutual fund options for those persons looking for that type of product. Omar is going to explain a little bit more about what mutual funds are all about. A mutual fund is an investment product which pulls together money from the investors, which is you, the public, and puts it in one big pot. From there, the monies are invested in companies and countries all over the world. It basically operates on the principle of diversification, not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So what would happen is when you're investing um, by yourself, you may invest in one or two companies you may know about. But because Fortress Fund Managers has such a, a well, um, a very wide knowledge set about investing, they can invest in hundreds of companies and dozens of countries all over the world for you. That way, you minimize any potential risk and maximize any potential returns. Awesome. And just so you also know, this is not our first episode. We've got something like maybe 22 previous episodes that you can listen to. They're all available wherever you listen to your podcast generally or on our website, fortressfund.com slash podcast. Peter, we are talking COVID all this season. Uh, we can't get away from it. It is it is the thing that everyone has been you know concerned with these past couple of months. And I just wanted to you know talk to you first of all about the impact of the pandemic that it's had on the global economy first, and and then to look at Fortress. So tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted you and personally, and then also. How, how, how things looked at Fortress when things started to, to shake up back in March? Sure. Great question, Kim. Good morning. Um, nice to be back with you and, and you and Omar. Um, the, the time of, uh, of COVID was um, as extraordinary for us as it was for, for everybody, I, I think. Um, I think our, our story would be one among, among many as uh, you gradually saw the, the facts um, kind of un, unfold. And, and from our perspective as investors, um, more, more importantly, the the or as importantly, 
the the impact on financial markets. So the the thing that I, I think um, um, you know, many listeners would be familiar with, obviously, is the the day to day changes that had to happen as as different economies were locked down and people were trying to figure out what the nature of the disease was and what would work against it, what wouldn't. Um, the as that as that spread, the quieter but slightly more scary thing from an investment perspective was that financial markets began to shut down. And when mar- financial markets, especially say markets for where companies can borrow money in the bond market, through March uh, that market began to shut down. Companies were drawing on their uh, their credit lines from banks, and everybody was going in the same direction. Uh, credit dried up. Now, the U.S. Federal Reserve, as, as the central bank, um, took many steps to help the liquidity initially. But until they took their bigger steps later, um, you, know, you really had a case where in our daily lives coming in and, and uh, managing portfolios, there, were, there was far more daily volatility than, than we normally see across a range of assets. And that had as much to do with everybody trying to take risk off the table at the same time as it did with uh, people trying to guess at what the right value of assets was. So back in that time of all the uncertainty in daily lives, we also had a lot of uncertainty with, with uh, what assets should be priced at. Um, and our response as prices get cheaper, as you may know, sorry to be the broken record, but as prices get cheaper for long-term assets, we get more interested in buying them. So through that time of, of March, um, we were probably too early in buying, but we, our interest was putting more capital to work in, in, in at lower prices, and that's exactly what we uh, what we did through most of March. So it was a fairly busy time for us in March and April, committing more capital to equities in March, more capital to corporate fixed income uh, in, in April. And uh, now daily life has gotten not normal, but more normal, and financial markets have, uh, have, have gotten more normal as well and have seen a substantial recovery. So essentially the markets freaked out. And you took the decision to buy more equities or stocks in March. Markets continued to freak out and you took the decision to buy more bonds in April. Mm-hmm. Is that essentially it? Am I right there? Yeah, yes. I, I think what, what was going on, the stocks and corporate bonds. So these are bonds issued by companies, mm-hmm. um, which obviously reflect credit risk in, in of those companies. Um, they, they were all coming under pressure at the same time as part of the same um, fears of what was what was going to come with an economic shutdown. Um, there was even talk at the time that the stock markets may, may, may need to close. Um, and if you may know, the Barbados, the, the Barbados Stock Exchange did indeed close for a couple of weeks. Um, and I, I'm guessing others around the world might have, but the major exchanges all stayed uh, all stayed open. But nobody knew what was going to happen next. And in that environment, um, there was a lot of shooting first and asking questions later. And so you know, the, 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 uh, the adding risk to the portfolios was a theme that was important to us because risk was getting cheaper. Um, and uh, that risk, you know, the risk markets take the form of equities and as, as well as primarily corporate fixed income, corporate bonds. Okay, um, I have a question just for, in, for the persons out there who may not know some of the terms which you may have mentioned. Um, could you tell us what equity is and what a bond is and what's the difference really? Yeah, sure. The, the, if you think of a, of a company, um, they really relate to two different parts of, of who, who has claim on what in, in a company. Um, Omar, if you and I have a, have a business together, uh, a company, we, we may be the shareholders, we may own the business. So we are the people that own the business and we would therefore own shares. We would have the equity in, in, in the business. We may um, need to borrow some money though. So we may ask Kim to lend us some money. And what we do then is issue a bond to her. She would buy a bond where we promise to pay her, say, 5% interest for the next 10 years. 
in which case, uh, Omar, you and I, as owners of the company, would be responsible for out of the earnings of our company, uh, paying Kim her 5% per year every year, as well as her principal back at the maturity date uh, in 10 years. So when we when we go around investing, uh, there are and those are the two main um, areas of the of the capital market. Um, companies issue bonds, but so do governments. Uh, and uh, the idea is a bond is a promise of an entity to pay you a fixed rate of interest, usually over a fixed period of time, usually. And typically, bonds are considered to be more conservative uh, than stocks. They'll move around in price less. The idea of what they might be worth in the future is a bit more guessable, knowable. Um, and equities, as you may know, will depend much more on um, you know, their future value will depend a lot more on what the prospects of the underlying companies may or may not be. The hopes and fears of people at a given point in time that drive the prices today and drive them tomorrow. Um, and and um, you know, so the, those are really the two the two main areas that we'd look at, and that's the difference. At Fortress, uh, our two two main funds in, in Barbados, uh, the Caribbean Growth Fund uh, invests primarily in stocks, so pieces of businesses, and the Caribbean High Interest Fund invests primarily in bonds, um, so uh, securities issued by governments and companies with with um, will, uh, typically will pay fixed returns over a fixed period of time. Okay, no problem. I have one more question for you. Um, you have over 25 years of experience, and, and I, I know... That's that terrifying, you're... Omar. That's absolutely... I, I can't be that old. <laughs> it's true. I'm sorry. You, you, have, you have quite a bit of experience there we are. Um, in financial markets. I know you've seen some recessions come and go. Um, can you compare COVID to any of the previous recessions? And, um, how, and how does it compare in terms of the volatility? Um. It got very, I, I guess, um, um, from my recollection of it, it it's, it's, it's um, probably got to a panicky stage faster than some other recessions and market panics. Um, and, and it felt probably worse than it was because it happened so fast. You know, we went from zero to 100 in terms of panic relatively quickly. Usually, usually recessions and, and the market impact that, that, that uh, comes as they're about to happen or are happening um, it tends to happen a little slower and people are more, is this really happening? Eh. And then there's evidence maybe it's not and then it is. And, and prices take time and get you know, gradually get depressed and then they, they then take another drop lower. And, and, and then towards the end, it gets very panicky. I think of the 0809 crisis was, was much more like that. Um, 2000 to 2002 had some, some, some shades of that with a bit of panic around 2001 for various reasons. But it, it, this time, we, we really went from zero to 100 very, very quickly. The panic happened. Um, it was an intense panic, uh, according to the measures that we, that we watched, plus the pure ch amount of change in, in, uh, in risk markets. Um, but prices generally didn't really get super cheap. And I think that's one of the things that made, maybe makes this recession different. Um, the, the, the monetary policy response from central banks like the U.S. Uh, Fed, Federal Reserve, was so quick and so... Uh, powerful um, that uh, market prices, yes, they fell a lot, but they never really got to what you'd typically consider, in our opinion, to be a, a recession type low. So very violent, very quick, didn't get as low as in price as you normally would, but you got to the level we got to very quickly. And then we've now had a significant, like a fastest recovery that I think I've ever seen in terms of financial markets. Having said that, I think the expectation is that the underlying economies around the world will will see a, a quick recovery, and and I, I'd be in the camp of thinking that we'll we'll get uh, at least half of what's been lost recovered fairly quickly. 
that last half of what's been lost is 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 going to be slower to come back in in economic terms, and uh, that's a uh, I think a theme that that we're going to see playing out for some time here, where the the sheep getting separated from the goats um, in terms of companies and governments and so on is is has been happening, and and we suggest is going to continue to happen. And we know that very well uh, from where we sit in the Caribbean, um, being very dependent on tourism. Um, the whole tourism industry globally is is one of the worst hit areas from this particular recession, and uh, it may be the slowest to uh, to come back. Meanwhile, there are many other areas in more diver- larger, more diversified countries uh, that have you know didn't skip a beat and continue on just fine. So maybe Omar, to answer your question, it's it's in terms of recessions quicker, uh, faster for financial markets to recover from levels that weren't you know, super on sale, but were a little bit on sale. And, and um, I think you're, you're going to have a, a much more um, uh, diverse kind of recovery as opposed to uh, every, every place and every company recovering at the same speed. I'm, I'm curious too, Peter, about the, the extent to which news influences how the stock market behaves. I know that uh, it's like saying early January was when the World Health Organization published their first article about the novel coronavirus. And then they were meetings later in January so that by February, we had articles in the Washington Post and other international publications talking about the, the global stock market response. And, and, and I don't, don't want to say crash, that's also inflammatory, but, <laughs> but the global stock market um, responding negatively. So what, to what extent do you think that the news plays a significant role in, in how these things work? It's, it's, I think that's a great question. Um, and, and I think my short answer would be that this is probably, this is one of the first times I've seen where sort of publicly available news, um, I, I don't want to say that it was, that most people knew it. Um, you know, we certainly weren't, weren't aware of the extent to which this was spreading, but people who, who, um, it seems like now, of course, everybody would pay attention to epidemiologists and, and so on. Um, but back in January, it was not a standard thing that everybody would be paying super close attention to it. But for those who were, um, it's quite possible that you would have been able to piece together scenarios where you'd think, you know what, we've got this happening. There's a lack of preparedness in, in certain areas. And so th- there could be a risk here. Um, the difficulty you have in, in, in um, investing based on news, number one is getting news that's not publicly available. Um, obviously, most of that is illegal to possess um, or to trade on rather. Um, but if, if, you, if, if, you, if you happen to get non-publicly available information that you've been able to piece together and you think it's actually sort of unique, the, the real question is then going to be, will the markets react in the direction or the way that you think they will? And that's where the thing gets a whole lot muddier. Um, and the study, study after study, as well as, as you know, just walk, seeing how markets respond day after day and year after year, would tend to support the idea that um, it's not so much the news that matters, it's how the markets respond to the news. And I, and I think what we had at the beginning of, of, um, of 2020 was a market that had already come in terms of equities, as well as, as other risk markets, such as corporate bonds, had, had already come a long way and, and was already priced without a lot of room for error. So um, whether it was COVID that caused it or uh, the lockdowns and so on, obviously that would, would have made it far worse, I imagine. Um, but it, it, it becomes a huge cocktail that's very hard to uh, um, decompose and figure out what the ingredients are in it. Um, so our, our view when it comes to, to news 
is to be very, very careful of, of um, responding to it. In fact, we will usually not, we assume when news comes out that it's going to be baked in the prices as it already tends to be known. I mean, simply respond to price. And so if, if we are finding the kinds of things that we want to buy in terms of shares of quality companies with good earnings and good balance sheets, and we can buy those at prices that, that, are, that are attractive um, for, from a long-term perspective, the more attractive they get, the more interested we get. And, and I think one of the things that we tried to communicate um, to internally as well as to all of our clients through the, the uh, March, April, May period of the pandemic and the market uh, volatility was that the markets will recover far before the news will get better. And that wasn't necessarily a prediction on our part. It was just that's what usually happens. Uh, and lo and behold, that's exactly what we have. You know, we have commentators now scratching their heads saying, how is it possible that we have such a horrible economy and yet the stock market in the U.S. for one is hitting, hitting new highs? So maybe a long answer, I'm sorry, but I, I think the responding to discrete pieces of news is extremely problematic, almost impossible to, to do correctly. And as investors, we just need to take a much longer term view and focus on the things that do matter, which is owning quality assets that you uh, have purchased at reasonable prices. Okay, cool. Um, the the uh, World Bank, speaking of predictions, um, forecasted in June that the global economy was going to shrink by about 5.2% this year. And this would be one of the deepest recessions, if not the deepest recession since the Second World War. Um, do you anticipate this declaration will hold true or what? what, what is your own take on it? Um, I, I think in, in terms of, uh, we, we've got a bad economy this year. I think, uh, Omar, that's a, a, exactly right. And and uh, whether those numbers being exactly correct or not, uh, I think they're going to be approximately correct. And, and you don't take 5% of economic activity globally and, and um, have it temporarily vanish uh, without some, some implications. And the way we like to think of it is that the 5% has not occurred um, uniformly across countries or across industries and companies. So that's 5% on average. There are areas uh, of far more stress than, than that, and, and there are important implications to that. Again, um, we happen to live in, the, in a part of the world where those implications, you know, the impact has been greater, and the, the long-term implications may, be, um, um, may wind up being greater as well. Um, the way I like to think of it, or I don't like to think of it, the way we do think of it, is that economically speaking, the, the world has a, a bunch of large festering sores on the body, um, and it's not overall as healthy as it was. There's been a, there's been a loss in health overall, and but it takes the form now of large festering sores. Much of the body, the global economy, is actually okay, um, but it would be better if it didn't have the large festering sores. And it's going to feel really bad if your country or your company happens to be smack dab in the middle of one of those sores. So I, I think we're, we st do still have. Um, a lot of work to do in terms of an economic recovery uh, that is as inclusive and as as pervasive as as everybody would uh, would hope. And we've got to recognize that some sectors um, may take uh, years as opposed to months to get back to uh, to where they were. But if Path the Pass is any guide, they will absolutely get back and and um, and 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 onto higher levels than than they were before. I was wondering, you know. And maybe you could elaborate a little bit. How is it that we can have a bad economy and good markets? Like, how do the two things exist? Especially for many people who don't understand, including myself, sometimes how how those two things differ. Like, how does that happen? That's a that's a, an absolutely fantastic question. And and I think the the number one thing I would say first to attempt to answer that 
is that we cannot forget that that share prices are, are not a voting mechanism on the economy. Share price share, shares are financial assets, and financial assets, stocks, bonds, respond um, in large measure to the level of interest rates and the expected level of interest rates down the road. And one of the early things that happened in in March is that the U.S. Federal Reserve and other major global central banks stepped in with um, extraordinary amounts of um, interest rate cuts and, in the case of the, the Fed and, and in Europe, um, direct asset purchases in in corporate, in government and corporate bond markets, uh, depending on the program. And this has lent immense support to those markets and has brought prices higher and higher and you know, in terms of bonds, yields lower and lower. So if we look around the landscape today, the the response from central banks to this crisis has been so strong it's pushed interest rates so much lower across a, across a range of assets um, stocks don't just sit there and say oh that's interesting and not respond you got a, your shares of a, of a company and back to Omar your, your business we own together let's say um, if our business is earning nice steady earnings and we expect them to continue growing modestly over a number of years the value of that stream of cash flows just got a lot higher because the value of all cash flows just got higher. And that's that's not necessarily a, again, it's, we're not voting on the state of the economy in the stock market always. It's a, it's a mix. It's a combination of what will the profitability be like? What will be the earnings of companies like, like Omar's and my business and many, all the others of thousands like them um, combined with how low or high are interest rates and what do we expect interest rates to be in the future? And one of the, the things that has really uh, come, come out here uh, has been the Fed's response. Um, and even now they're, they're talking about, they're not even thinking about thinking about interest, raising interest rates. Rates will stay low for a very long time, according to the communication they're, they're giving us. And in that environment, it, it's, it, it's, um, uh, it's super important for investors to recognize that Taking no risk in this market will earn you a zero or possibly negative rate of return. Um, central banks around the world have conspired to bring the rate of return for taking no risk to zero or below. And that means that the question for people who would earn a rate of return that is in the kind of levels that we've all come to expect over the years, is not a question of whether or not to take risk. It's a question of which risk are you going to take? And will you take them sensibly? Obviously, we're strong believers in paying attention to the quality of what you're buying and the price you're paying, which is a big part of investing sensibly for the long term. But really, if you think of it as, as I'm going to now, I have to take risk if I'm going to earn a return. I'll buy some corporate bonds. What are the yields on those? And I'll buy a flow of, of earnings from from a um, from a company via their shares. And it, in so doing, there's a transmission mechanism um, that really has a lot. Or as much to do with the interest rate uh, regime as it does with the overall economy. And I think that's that's kind of how we're thinking about it now. And we fully expect that, in a way, the longer the, uh, the, the, the central banks want to raise all boats to the extent that they can, and to the extent that there are still boats out there, big companies still having trouble and struggling, and interest rates stay low, that just generally helps support all the other ones that are chugging along and doing okay. So it is it, it, it is quite possible that shares in this environment will trade sustainably higher than would, would many people would have thought possible. So in your opinion, there are still opportunities then to invest in funds and assets and they can still offer strong performances even in the midst of, of this upheaval then? 
Uh, absolutely. And, and, and in a way, Omar, we, we, we kind of wish that there was still upheaval. Um, the upheaval ended back in March. And, and during the upheaval, which was horrible, and obviously for a very horrible reason, but the nice thing about upheaval is that the prices are better. Um, and now that we're several months past the upheaval, there's been a lot of normalization uh, and, and, and beyond in some cases. The, the landscape is really very much the case of if you're not taking risk, you're not going to earn an acceptable rate of return. So the areas that, that we are still finding even today um, in today's landscape, which again is quite different from March's landscape, would still be certain corporate bonds. Um, and um, in our high interest fund, um, we're investing, continue to invest in, in Barbados as well as, as globally. And the running yield in that fund is, is um, more attractive than it has been in some time as we've been chipping away at some, some local uh, government Barbados bonds too. Um, and and in, in the equity world, um, it's very important to think about diversification. Uh, and as if there's a spread of, of your portfolio around the world and across different companies, more so now than ever. I mean, our Caribbean growth fund has invested more than two thirds outside of the Caribbean. And that's going to be important because the Caribbean is going to be likely, you know, you don't need to predict it, but likely one of the areas that will be slower to recover out of this relative to the rest of the world. And there, there are many parts of the global equity world now that are more than fully priced. A lot of them have been making the headlines, whether it's the Apples or the Teslas or the Googles in, in, the, in the US um, that have um, traded now to some very, very aggressive valuations that don't leave a lot of room for error in our view. There are still at this moment, many, many great companies, good balance sheets, good earnings that can be expected to grow as we all come out of, uh, come out of this for many, many, many years that are still trading at, at very, very attractive valuations. And that's where our portfolios are kind of always focused. And, and we're very happy that we can be focused on there now, even though those, those stocks have, have been ones that maybe haven't led the market in the last few years. They really are the only pocket of potential return, we think, um, that's anything like what people expect from stocks for the next five to 10 years. So well-valued, good quality companies. Um, in answer to your question, I, I think that is really where where we can pin our hopes. And that is absolutely where we're positioned. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, Peter, because I'm really curious. Uh, we've had all this upheaval this year, um, but we've also had some time where the prices, regrettably to you, have gone up in terms of equities. So tell me about the Fortress Mutual Funds. How have they, I mean, what kind of funds do do we have? And then how have they been performing respectively uh, this first was this we well well um like the first six seven eight months of the year. Sure. Well, the the uh, after coming off a really strong year in 2019, especially to end the year in the fourth quarter, very strong strong year there. Um, as everybody probably knows, the first quarter was was um, ending ending March was was extremely weak um, around the world. Um, and then since then, it's been much stronger. So in, in the second, our two primary funds in Barbados. Again, the Caribbean Growth Fund, which invests primarily in stocks, and the uh, Caribbean High Interest Fund, uh, which invests primarily in bonds. We also have a range of, of uh, U.S. dollar um, funds as well across some U.S. equities, international equities, emerging, uh, as well as, as U.S. fixed income. Um, but many of our clients here in Barbados will be most familiar, familiar with the Caribbean Growth Fund and the High Interest Fund. The Growth Fund in the second quarter ending June was up 7.5%. Uh, and since then, uh, we're speaking today here at the beginning of September, uh, is up another uh, 4% from there. So year over year, the growth fund is down about 2%, um, which when you consider what's going on in the world, uh, we think is, um, is, is not bad at all. 
And the assets that we have in there, as we were alluding to a few minutes ago, good companies, good balance sheets, um, trading at good valuations where, where we think that the, um, the potential over the next five years plus is, uh, remains significant. The high interest fund, which invests primarily in bonds, again, uh, some weakness in the first quarter as a result of the, um, uh, the stress in corporate bond markets that we talked about at the beginning. Um, in the quarter ended June 30, uh, that fund was up 4.2%. It's now up just over uh, just over one another one percent since uh, since the end of that quarter, as we sit here at the, in early September, and the one year return on that fund is about one percent. So back to the um, the idea of diversification, our our pension funds, um, which have come in three options depending on on the participants' uh, um, time horizon and, and risk tolerance, they're mostly around flat now for the for the last last year. And that's because they invest in a combination of stocks and bonds. And um, that's a layer of diversification that's, that's uh, super important for people to bear in mind as well. You know, within our equity fund, we take care of a lot, of a lot of diversification, similarly within our bond fund. And then to the extent that investors can own some stocks and some bonds, that's the standard asset allocation mix. And that kind of mix over the last year, uh, as I say, is, is about flat. Um, so having come through all of this, we're, we think that's, um, that's not bad at all. Okay, wonderful. I mean, um, to, the, the recovery seems fantastic, and I must, I must give the investment team kudos for for um, pulling through with, 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 with such vigor and strength. Um, would you say it's still a good time for the average layperson like myself to invest? Well, you're asking the barber if you need a haircut, Omar, but I think that the biggest advice we would have on that front is not to be facetious, but it is always a good time to invest. The reason for that is because investing is not a one-and-done activity, uh, as you know. Uh, the best kind of investing that we do and that we see our clients doing that we encourage to happen is a regular, steady, for example, monthly savings program, which many of our clients do. And, and when, that's, when that's the program, it's not a matter of what is the news today um, or what is the expectation today, um, but rather sticking with, a, with a, a good long-term and steady program. So our answer to that would be the same, steady 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 and uh, the assets we own in our funds are uh, as uh, they're never the most fashionable um, but we think they've got uh, still some very very attractive long-term return potential and that's the part we'll take care of and if our clients take care of the steady saving part then um, that's a good partnership i think one of the things that people tend to forget or may overlook and let you point it out to us in our discussion today peter is that the taking no risk at all confirms that you will definitely earn zero Mm -hmm. um, but you have to just manage and identify the appropriate risk that you're willing to take and that you think will be most beneficial to you. And I think mutual funds, I mean, I, I say this and I, I mean it though, uh, mutual funds present that opportunity because you're spreading, as Omar reminded us earlier, you're spreading your, your risk around uh, through diversification. You're not just buying one particular thing. So this way, even if one area that the mutual fund invest in um, has a has has bad returns. You're not necessarily exposed to that exclusively. And just for an example, Peter, approximately how many different companies does the growth fund, for example, invest in? Uh, directly, probably about thirty, and indirectly, it would be um, closer to it'd be in a couple of hundred. Right. So, yeah, I would never be able to invest in thirty, and definitely not in a hundred different companies. So it's a good way for you to sort of spread that risk around. And just a reminder to people that that's what a mutual fund, essentially the biggest advantage I think that it gives you. Absolutely. All right. 
And thank you, Peter, too, for bringing us up to date on what Fortress has been doing and what your mutual funds have been doing. The performance sounds like things are recovering after a shaky start to the year. And uh, it's good to know that a little company in Barbados is is still holding its own in amidst all of this. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to speak with you again, and thank you for the invitation. Thank you all for listening to us. And we, as always, welcome your feedback for, here at Do It For Grantly. And I'd love for you to let us know what's your greatest financial hurdle that you've ever overcome. Send us your comments um, by voice note at fortressfund.com slash podcast, or send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let us know what's the greatest financial hurdle you've ever overcome. Next week, we'll be checking in with Dwayne and Kelly Jones for Keeping Up with the Joneses, where we talk about their success along their debt-free journey. Thanks a lot. Do It For Grantly is a production of Fortress Fund Managers. You can listen to and download all our episodes in all the good places podcasts are available or on our website, fortressfund.com. That's fortressfund.com, where you can also find this episode's show notes, explaining all the financial terms we mentioned in the show. And now that you've listened to this episode, we want to hear from you. Tell us, what's the biggest financial hurdle you have ever overcome? Send us a voice note at fortressfund.com slash podcast, or email us at info at fortressfund.com, or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Fortress Fund Managers. Most people find out about podcasts through recommendations, so spread the word and tell your friends about our show. Until next time, I'm Kim Howard. And I'm Omar Kennedy. Thanks for listening.